Amen. Well, if you're a guest, we're delighted to have you here uh, with us uh, this morning. My name is uh, Rick Holmes, and uh, we're just honored uh, that you're uh, present among us, and we hope that if you're able, you might stay after the service and join us. Well, we're in the Gospel of Mark, and we've come to chapter 15. And so if you have a Bible, would you turn there? We're going to complete uh, Mark in uh, the next uh, two Sundays. And if you would, would you stand for the reading of uh, Scripture and pray with me. Gracious Heavenly Father, we are so easily distracted. Sometimes our our minds are just uh, filled with thoughts of what happened uh, last week or what we anticipate this week. Sometimes it's just we struggle to be present. And so we ask for the help of your spirit to be present and that you would speak to us and that we might see Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. And Mark writes, beginning in verse 1, and as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. And the chief priest accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them saying, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he had perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priest had delivered him up. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him released For them, Barnabas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. Having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion. And they clothed him in a purple cloak and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews. And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they'd mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put on his own clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. You may return to your seats. Well, who are your heroes? I met one of my heroes while uh, giving uh, blood. Uh, At the screening uh, table, uh, the nurse 
uh, drew some blood to type it, took my medical history, and then uh, my vital signs. And she looked at me, you have to understand, no one ever accused me of being skinny. In fact, I uh, am a wonderful illustration of how eating ice cream every night is a great weight maintenance program. <laughs> and she looked at me and told me that my blood pressure and heart rate were below normal. And I said, is that a problem? And she uh, replied uh, with a question about my exercise program. Well, after I, I told her, she said, well, we make exceptions for athletes. And I laughed so hard, I fell off my chair. And immediately, that woman was one of my heroes. Now, heroes are everywhere today. Just go into the movie uh, theater and take your pick. There's uh, Pete uh, uh, Maverick Mitchell, and there's the Black Panther, uh, there's uh, Batman, and they all have this one thing in common. They are the one person uh, who can change everything. Now, when I was a boy, this, these one people were usually of noble character, but today they are as flawed as they are courageous, but they defy the odds uh, to achieve justice. Just take uh, Cassian, one of the characters from Star Wars. He is an individual who takes on the evil empire. Here he is, the lone individual who challenges the institution. But he's unconventional. He lies, he cheats, he manipulates, and yet in a way, he's more noble than all the other people, even though he doesn't always get it right. Or there's Jack Reacher, a protector of the weak. He is as violent as he is unpredictable, and yet he's committed to the truth and doing the right thing. Now mark in our text, uh, at the very center of the account of Jesus that we've read, uh, presents us with the choice of two men. They are heroes. Barabbas, a hero in the mold of modern heroes, or Jesus, who is said to be the king of the Jews. And Mark recounts these events in order to draw us in. He's looking to elicit a response in those who read his gospel. And our reaction says something about us. It actually, if you would enter into the story, you would see what you really believe about God and life. And it might tell you more than you want to know about yourself. Do you have the courage to enter into these events? There's three events. One is the trial before Pilate, then his sentencing, and then the mock coronation or enthronement. And they take place on two levels. At one level, on the surface, these, Mark describes the events that take place, the things that actually happen. But at a deeper level, below uh, the surface, are spiritual realities. And the question uh, Mark asks throughout Will you reject Jesus like everybody else? Or can you see beneath the surface to the spiritual realities that are unfolding? Now, in the trial before uh, Pilate, it's very early in the morning, and Israel's religious uh, leaders, all of them are uh, named, the chief priests and the elders and the teachers of the law. Those are the Bible scholars. 
they've reached a verdict that Jesus is worthy of death. He's a blasphemer. He deserves death, but they don't have the power to put him to death. And they know they have to hurry. Uh, it has to be very early in the morning uh, to get there because that's when Roman legal proceedings took place. And actually, uh, they begin at daybreak, and by mid-morning, Roman noblemen pursue their leisurely pursuits. <laughs> You've got to get to court early if you want to get something done. And they know that Pilate has no interest or sympathy uh, as it pertains to Jewish religion or national matters. And so they bring a charge that no Roman ruler could ignore. Jesus claims to be a king. Jesus is a popular nationalist leader who is a challenge to Roman control. And it's a calculated move because uh, they think that they've got Pilate where he will not be able to refuse charging Jesus with treason and he will order his execution on a cross. And that'll get rid of Jesus, but it'll also demoralize his followers. And they also think that Pilate, because of his power, will be able to manage whatever uproar that actually brings about. Things will return to normal quickly. Now, Pilate was the fifth governor of Palestine, and uh, normally he wouldn't be in Jerusalem, but it's the Passover feast. It's the feast where Jews celebrate their liberation from Egypt. And so national feelings always ran very hot at Passover, and the governor would come there to keep a close eye on things and to be able to tamp down anything that got out of hand. Pilate, by nature, was stubborn and defiant. He disdained those that he ruled over. Just one occasion to illustrate this, uh, he brought into Jerusalem the military standards that bore the image of the emperor violating the Jewish ban on images. And it offended the Jews so much that people came from 70 miles away to Jerusalem to stage a nonviolent protest for five days. Well, Pilate initially was unyielding. And then he reached the point where he'd had enough and he ordered his soldiers to go out and slay the protesters. They extended their necks uh, uh, as the soldiers approached, um, uh, welcoming death rather than transgressing uh, the law. And he backed down. He did it because Rome expected the governor to keep peace among these difficult Jews. And if he wanted to hold on to his position, he needed to do just that. At the trial, there was a large crowd that assembled. And uh, uh, he asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus responds, literally, just with two words, you say. Now, it could be translated, that's what you say, or you've uh, said it, but it means something like this. You do well to consider this question. Now, if you know uh, John's gospel, you know there's more conversation takes place. There's a discussion about political 
authority, but Mark's account goes right uh, to the point. The chief uh, priests make accusations and Jesus is silent. The title King of the Jews puts Jesus on par with the murderer, the well-known insurrectionist uh, Barabbas. Jesus is cast as a man ready to lead a revolt. And Pilate, though, he knows that Jesus is no threat. He's already uh, perceived that it's because of envy that the chief priests have brought him there. But he can't free a man who won't defend himself. And so uh, he's amazed. He's just baffled by Jesus' response. Below the surface of this trial, at a deeper level, we see Jesus' prediction of his arrest and being handed over fulfilled. In Mark 10, Jesus said, We see we're going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. That phrase, delivered him over, is speaking of an act of God. God's plan is unfolding just as Jesus said it would. Jesus has chosen to embrace that plan, and so he becomes passive. Jesus' silence was spoken of some 700 years before in the prophet Isaiah, where he writes of the servant of the Lord. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, and yet he did not open his mouth. Do you have eyes to see that Jesus is carrying out God's plan, a plan for the rescue of the world? Next is the sentencing. That's in verses 6 to 15. It was Pilate's custom at Passover uh, to release one criminal. Now, Barabbas is in uh, prison, and we don't know anything else about this insurrection which he was a part of. We're told only that he was a murderer, but we're also told that the crowd knew this man's name, and we'd probably be right to think that he was one of the leaders of those uh, who engaged in this insurrection. Pilate asked, do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And the crowd shouts back, not him, give us a Barabbas. And it's a choice uh, between two men, two heroes. There's the high-minded patriot who's decided that armed resistance is the only honorable way to oppose Rome. And the other is a man of peace who preaches love for enemies and brings good wherever he goes. These two contrasting but equally demanding programs, equally demanding ways of relating uh, to the Romans are set before the people. What kind of hero would you choose? What kind of hero do you admire? The choice of Barabbas doesn't make Jesus uh, guilty. And so Pilate asks, what do you want me to do with Jesus? And they reply, crucify him. And he says, why? What has he done? And they shout back, crucify him. And then politics takes over. It's subtle but volatile. Uh, Realities are in play here. Pilate could find Jesus as innocent, But politically, it didn't seem wise. 
even though Pilate despises the Jews, uh, dictators can't always ignore uh, their subjects. Recent events in Russia show you that. Uh, Pergozin, the leader of the Wagner uh, group, marches uh, toward Moscow, and instead of having them immediately dispatched, he's allowed to come uh, get his things in another city and then uh, leaves. Jesus had political value, and while sacrificing this innocent man may or may not gain favor for Pilate, it would ensure that there wasn't a riot that day. And so injustice meets brutality, intense violence is unleashed, Jesus is handed over to be flogged. Now being flogged was normally what took place before someone was crucified. Prisoners were bound and then they were tied to a pillar or post and whipped uh, with a flagellum. Now it consisted of leather thongs that were embedded with pieces of either bone or lead or bronze. It was called the scorpion. The balls and sometimes the hooks would uh, produce deep contusions as the flesh was literally uh, ripped. Major blood loss occurred. It was done in part to shorten the length of time someone would be upon a cross. And sometimes it was fatal. It was so horrible that women were never flogged. In fact, women were not allowed to view this. Even the cruel emperor Domitian uh, thought that it was appalling. At a deeper level, Mark writes that Jesus was handed over. He mentions this three times in what we've read this morning. It's a key phrase and it points uh, to both human activity and God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And again, the prophet Isaiah's words are being fulfilled. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. Jesus is the king who serves us by suffering in our place. His wounds are for our healing. Now, we live in a time when a growing number of people feel so weighed down with inner pain that they feel the need to harm themselves. Sometimes they cut themselves. Somehow this brings them relief, but it's a terrible thing uh, to do when you're weighed uh, down with guilt or shame or rejection or pain that self-harm would somehow feel helpful. It's just terrible. And the gospel gives us a different way, a way to respond to those uh, inner hurts uh, that we have, uh, uh, wounds that are caused by a profound sense that we're inadequate, that we don't measure up, the things that we uh, fail uh, to do, uh, the things uh, where we uh, harm uh, other people. Wounding yourself can't bring that kind of inner healing. It is a healing that's found in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That's where you can find healing. And that healing comes when you turn from yourself, from your own efforts uh, to heal yourself, from your self-pity, from seeing yourself as a victim and claim Jesus' wounds for yourself. Now, throughout Mark's account, 
There's nothing sensational. He doesn't describe Jesus' physical suffering. I, I did that so you'd actually uh, have some insight as to what was taking place. The first people who heard his gospel didn't need that. They knew what these things looked like. But Mark doesn't emphasize that. The emphasis is entirely on Jesus' shame. And below the surface, the hidden work of God. Now that shame is written large in the mock coronation. It's there in the last verses. Jesus is led into the palace and the Roman soldiers have this royal uh, pretender in their power now. And they stage a mock uh, ceremony of enthronement or coronation model of Roman customs. Brutality and sarcasm are present in equal measures. Mark tells us that the whole battalion, possibly as many as 600 men are there, But what Mark doesn't uh, tell us is that these aren't Roman legionnaires. They're auxiliaries drawn from the uh, non-Jewish peoples around them. And the reason that's important is that anti-Jewish sentiment among them would run far deeper than it would among the Roman legionnaires. With a robe and a crown of thorns forced upon him, they parody the Roman custom Uh, of greeting the emperor. Uh, Ave Caesar, hail king of the Jews. As only the neighboring ethnicities would, they they found the idea of a Jewish king utterly laughing, laughable. It's hilarious to them, and they kneel, which is a sign of respect shown uh, to a king. Matthew tells us uh, that they gave Jesus a mock uh, scepter, And then they strike him uh, with it. They spit on him, a further expression of their contempt. The mention of spitting uh, actually recalls Jesus' own words in Mark 10 and Isaiah saying that the Lord's servant would endure these things. Everything that Jesus told his followers would happen has taken place. And like an iceberg beneath the surface of these things is massive meaning because ironically the words and actions of the soldiers have spoken deep truth. Jesus is a king, the servant king whose throne is the cross. Jesus is the servant king who ascends to his throne, which is the cross. Now Jesus seems powerless. His enemies and crowds do not perceive that God's plan is unfolding. They don't recognize that they're actually participating in something that God himself has orchestrated and that Jesus will enter the fullness of his kingship through suffering and death. He must be shamed in our place. In the injustice of freeing Barabbas and condemning Jesus, Jesus' substitutionary death is made plain. Three times Jesus is called King of the Jews. And that's what Mark intends us to see. To see what no one else saw that day. That Jesus is in fact a king whose kingdom is like no other. It's not like any earthly kingdom. It doesn't come with the exercise of power. It is not imposed on others. 
It is only seen and experienced by faith. So what is your response? Each of the people we encounter in the story shows us a possible response. The priests reject Jesus. In spite of all their religious activity, they do not want God's king among them. The crowd saw Jesus as a failed Messiah. Almost certainly this is how Judas perceived Jesus and fed into uh, why he betrayed him. They are far more comfortable uh, with Barabbas. He's their hero uh, who will make things right with violence. And Pilate's the kind of leader we're very well acquainted with who forever has his finger uh, up to see which which way the wind is blowing. And he'll do something for others only so long as it costs him nothing. And many people are like Pilate. They see no harm in Jesus, but they see nothing else. No reason to risk for him. Pilate is uh, a man who is morally indifferent. And evil's in work in all of this. The chief priests manipulate the crowds. The crowds allow themselves to be manipulated. And the soldiers who carry out their orders do so with sadistic pleasure. And in Pilate, there is uh, an indifference to justice. Can you see below the surface? Barabbas, that's Aramaic for son of the father. Barabbas, the son of the father, set free. But the one unique son of the father, Jesus Christ, is condemned to death. This prisoner exchange uh, provides insight into the meaning of Christ's death. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ the righteous one died for the unrighteous. Will you claim Jesus as king? If you're here and you haven't decided for or against Jesus, will you consider him? Mark quotes these two words of Jesus, you say, inviting you to consider who Jesus is. Will you explore who he is? Will you look at the gospel? Will you perhaps take uh, someone uh, alongside of you to help you explore it? He is a king who will die for his subjects who makes himself last and pays every cost for us to be acceptable to God. Will you submit to Jesus as your king? Those of you who say you will, will you trust him enough with your life, with your interests, with your plans to let him be in control? And are we willing to follow him in the way of the cross? Are you willing to suffer for him without violence? How we react to the cross says a great deal about us. Ray Stedman was a uh, pastor in California, and he once uh, called the cross God's great plowshare. It just rips through the hypocrisy of our lives. And it lays us bare. It shows us what's 
really of value to us. It explains why uh, Muslims insist that it wasn't Jesus who was crucified, but Judas. God would never let his prophet be crucified. We have to think about why it is that we participate in church, why American Christians participate in church. Very often it's because, well, they look at the church and ask, what can it do for me? They have a a list of things, you know, the five or ten things that are on their shopping list. The church needs to be all of these things. But you know one of the things that's very rarely on that list is where can I serve and sacrifice for Jesus Christ? Where am I needed that I might serve and sacrifice for Jesus Christ? The cross beckons us to serve and sacrifice. Chuck Colson tells the story of uh, one man who had uh, deeply uh, responded to the cross. His name was uh, Father uh, Colby, Maximilian Colby. He was a Polish priest, and he was sent to Auschwitz uh, for refusing to cave to Nazi demands that he keep the Poles quiet, stupid, and dull-witted. He wasn't to do anything in his ministry uh, that would raise questions about the Nazi regime. Uh, One day, because a prisoner had managed to actually escape, the commandant sentenced randomly uh, 10 people to die. And Father Colby rashly offered uh, to take the place of one of those people The commandant thought it was crazy, but he let him go ahead. He was ordered, like all the others, to take off all his clothes. And it's said that Father uh, Colby uh, 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 whispered, Christ died on a cross naked, and so it's only fitting that I do as well. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, this passage is hard to read. It's hard to actually think deeply about what took place. And it's hard uh, to know and actually say uh, where we fit in. And so grant us, Lord, the grace to respond as Mark intends and to claim the suffering, shamed servant as our king and to yield to him our very lives. It's in his name we pray. Amen.